Welcome back, besties. We have another author spotlight for you. And this is actually part two. Not that there was a part one that you're going to listen to because it was totally fucked. Um, We spent two hours with an amazing author. He's with us again today, Ian Rogers. He agreed to come back and we just struggle bust through trying to make sure the sound is right. And so far it sounds like we're good. So we're going to just go with this. Okay. So we have Ian Rogers with us today. Talented, talented author. Absolutely amazing. Um, He is a big deal. Like he's got all these really special friends that he talks about really casually. He's like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, I just, I'm going to have dinner with him on my birthday. Yeah. Just wait. It's going to come. So a little bit about Ian Rogers. He's with us. He is a Shirley Jackson award finalist. He just sold that, um, that short story is now getting adapted into a feature film produced by Sam Rainey. And it's going to be directed by, uh, Corin Hardy, which I, I watched the hollow for the first time. Mm. The other, I think I, I posted it. It was really good. I like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> so, and then you have your first novel that you sold. Mm-hmm. He said he finished it like three days ago or something stupid like that. <laughs> this is how it works. So that means this book, we're not going to see it till next year, which is really just quite unfortunate. And I feel personally attacked from that. Okay. Uh, if this is just for anyone who maybe does not know who Sam Rainey is, and if you don't, I am judging you, but he is the mastermind that is responsible for the Evil Dead franchise. Um, he also did the Doctor Strange film the new one so there's that and the spider-man trilogy like these are kind of really fucking big so mm-hmm. and uh and you know ian's just like yeah he's my buddy we we skype yeah yeah you know just mm. but here's the thing why ian is with us he's cool we're not at all <laughs> um but we love cats and we want to talk to ian about his cats because he's got three chonkers and that's that's what we're gonna do and his cats i listen ian is a big deal but his cats are kind of a bigger deal mm-hmm. quite literally ian say hi say hi to everyone again hello it's good to be back again good to be back and barnabas is here to say it's good to be back too so i should actually just put him right here so that way you guys don't have to see my face you could just see this the sort of stunned and beautiful cat face the whole time you know? <laughs> That should be my author photo has really, you know, that's when I, I really go down that road. It's just everything should just be Barnabas. Yeah. yeah. And OK, so we have Barnabas. Now, let me yes. introduce one of my co-hosts as well. Jackie's here with us. Finally, last time she wasn't going to be with us because she was stuck in an Orlando airport. Mm-hmm. So say hi, Jackie. Hi. Mm-hmm. And she's up <laughs> way past her bedtime. It is so stinking late on a school night. Yeah, it is. Tomorrow. She's going to be miserable. She's going to fucking hate me. No, I'll just she actually told me before that she uh, she didn't show up because she she didn't know who I was. She said you said that she would have shown up if it was Josh Mallerman on the uh, podcast or Paul Tremblay, but Ian Rogers. Like, she would have. No. no. Yeah, she's like, who is that? I mean, <laughs> he's Paul Tremblay's best friend. Well, yeah, <laughs> he did exactly <laughs> one of my books, you know. So I mean, that makes us best friends. Like I own him it now. Does. You showed up to our podcast now twice. I mean, we're basically family now. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm basically moving in now, you know, cause I figure that's the only way we can ensure that this one will work is that I just have to be there with a couple of tin cans and a, and a piece of wax string, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that would be really fun. We're talking about it cause we're going to start some YouTube stuff. You should definitely come down for that. We'll just sit around the table. You just, you can move in. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I can do that. Warmer than Canada. Let me, yeah. <laughs> Let me introduce our other co-host too. A is back with us. I mean, she just shows up. She's she's like a stray cat. Yeah, pretty much. Mm. We love her though. We do love her. So so we met Barnabas, introduced your two other cats who are probably not with you because they're cats doing cat stuff, but just describe no, them a little bit. My uh my wife and I have been sort of in and out doing little day trips this weekend. So now that we're home for for good for the rest of the week, they're just latched onto her and they won't leave her except for Barnabas. He could hear me talking in here, so he had to come into the office. But our other two cats are um our oldest is Wraith, and I believe he turned thirteen this year. He's a black cat. And uh, my wife named him after the Ringwraiths from Lord of the Rings because uh, she loves that movie. Um, and she just thought that it was a good name because this cat is he's kind of like a wraith. He's like a ghost. I mean, you've seen him or don't haven't seen him in photographs. He just does not show up. He's sort of like a uh, those spirit photographs. When people are trying to point and say, you know, can you see the ghost there in the background? Like, that's our cat. You know, you can't you can't see this guy if unless his eyes are open. And it's just a set of eyes in the background. And um, Jackie, Ian posted a picture. It was his wife. Um, Barnabas (laughs) was sort of like laying next to her and he had this face that was just mm, like like just a true mood. Right. And that's what I messaged. I was like, that is like just a total mood. His face. (laughs) He was like, yeah. And then I don't know. It came up somewhere because we were going back and forth with the picture. And then all of a sudden, now mind you, Jackie, she's like laying there. And it looks like she's wearing just like a black shirt or maybe she's got Mm -hmm. a blanket over her or something like that. But then I see like the tip of an ear. I think this we were messaging for a couple minutes. And I was like, is there another cat in that photo? (laughs) Yeah. Like, what the hell? He's a CIA operative. He is a CIA operative. Yeah. Yeah. He would be if he wasn't afraid of doorbells or just the sound of doorbells on movies and television. That's that's what's ruined his his CIA operative career is his anxiety towards uh, sound and the fact that people who aren't my wife and I might come into the house because he does not like uh, visitors in any way, shape or form. You know, I don't either. Neither do we. Yeah, no, I, again, I can't hold it against him. That's what we always say. Like He's a weirdo, but he's our weirdo. Yeah. And I think he's got his priorities straight. Like I, yeah. if strangers come into my house, I mean, obviously not strangers that barge into my house, but like people that like my in-laws, if they come in. Yeah. I kind of also want to hide under my bed. No, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. No. And our, and our third guy is Gozer. He's about four years old and he's uh, the heaviest. He's about 19 pounds. And um, for no earthly reason, the cats all get diet cat food. They all get a scoop in the morning, a scoop in the night. We don't we don't know why he's this big. They're all getting the same food, but he's got these really big like bear paws. So we know he's supposed to be a big cat, but like 19 pounds. I mean, he's got these little <laughs> stubby legs. So, like when he runs and like his little back end will start scooting down if he goes too fast around corners. And you know, he sweats when he eats, you know, and he's just He's a mouth breather. When you get them onto the bed, I mean, it's just, it's not pretty, you know, like we're, we're a little worried about him, but we don't want to shame him. And he's only four. TLC has reached out to do a show on him. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to be like my 20 pound cat life. Well, we had a cat with diabetes. Our our old cat, Thor, had diabetes. So now we're, we're hyper aware of, uh, 
of making sure that our cats are in good shape. But, but again, like he's not, um, he doesn't, he doesn't eat poorly, you know, like he, I mean, he's, he smokes, you know, he's got the cigarette problem, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, there's no real junk food in the house other than the stuff that my wife and I eat. We're not, we're not freaky healthy, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this cat. I think he might be my favorite though. I feel like I just well, get along with him. You say that until you spend any period of time. But when we first got him, we didn't know if we were going to keep him because we didn't know that. I don't know if it's just tabbies or gray tabbies, but he won't shut up. And he just talks. I'm not talking when he's hungry. I'm talking like he's walking down the hall and there's no one there. Um, He just talks. He just he comes in the room and he just you're having a conversation. So he's just he's a chatty Kathy. He's a chatty caddy. Um and we, we uh, for the first for the first couple of months, I was like, I don't know if I can handle this. You're either just going to get used to it or you're not. And, and we got used to it because he's got a great personality. Like you said, I think that was the one thing that, you know, that kicked off our whole friendship was when you commented on that picture of, uh, of, of my cats and you were commenting on Gozer's face. And you just said that cat's face is a whole mood. And that's just how my wife and I just immediately fell in love with you guys because it was like, yeah, <laughs> they, they get it. They get it. You know. I'm going to have to find that picture for you, Jackie, and show you. It really is just, he's just laid back like, oh, like, uh, like what? <laughs> um, but I can imagine he probably is like Scout, because Scout's a tabby. And you know, he's mm. like, meow, meow, meow. And he's like, shut up. But he's really friendly. Like, like, like that, that face, that face is pretty standard. Like he has a stink face, you know, and he, he will bully the other cats a little bit, like not in any bad way. He's more like the sheriff. Um, like he'll race them to the food bowls and stuff as much as he can before he starts sweating and caught, you know, he's out of breath cause he's, he's too big. But with us, <laughs> like my wife and I, he's, he's friendly. Like he's cuddly. He, he purrs all the time. The most heartbreaking thing is he'll have nightmares. And I'm always Aww. convinced that he's dreaming of the cage, um, that we adopted him out of. He doesn't want to go back to the cage. And as like a bad father, I do threaten him with the cage when he's being bad. Grow back to that cage. <laughs> But uh, so we wake him up when he's having these nightmares because it's just heartbreaking to see him twitching and crying a little bit. And whenever he wakes up, he starts talking again and he has to come over for for hugs or cuddles. So you have to sort of reassure him. He's telling you about the dream. Yeah. He's letting you know what the dream was about and how you were awful and you were like petting other cats in front of him. True. Well, or threatening with other cats. We also threaten him a lot. Well, I threaten him that we're going to get another cat. That doesn't, you know, make my back pop when I pick them up, you know. So, like, I'm going to be 47 tomorrow. It's my birthday tomorrow. And so, like, I, I have to start thinking of, like, my health when it comes to picking up heavy objects. You know, you, when you kind of, you, when you, when you, uh, when you apply for a job and you get the job and they, some of these jobs, they'll say, can you lift 40 pounds? Because they mm-hmm. have to pick stuff up, like office supplies or whatever. So, it's like, they should do that when you're adopting a cat. Because I did not know that I was going to have to do this heavy lifting between the 19 pounds he weighs and the stubby legs, meaning that he can't jump up anywhere. He is now predisposed to us carrying him or putting him up on the bed. Because if you don't, he just sits there and, and yells at you until until you do that thing. You know. You should get him the heart like the uh, harness thing that mm-hmm. goes around and set like the the handle on the back. We tried, but they don't might make one at his size. You know, extra husky. Oh. They don't. They don't have that size. Maybe you need a dog one. <laughs> okay, yeah. A dog one might work. <laughs> All right. So I, I inter- also happy birthday. That's right. Your birthday's tomorrow. Yes. And you're Thank also you. going to be having dinner. Happy birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday. 
I am having dinner with my my director friend who's in town making a, a different movie. He's he's prepping Every House is Haunted, and he's making a movie in Toronto uh, right now called Whistle. And uh, it's a high school movie, I believe, a high school horror movie. But I'm still going to convince him to throw me in the background somewhere. So my wife, when I said, I'm going to be one of these kids. Remember like that Steve Buscemi meme where it's like, hello, young people. And he's all dressed like a high school kid, but he's like clearly in his 50s or 60s. Like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be doing that meme in real life. And uh, yeah, I'm going to totally play the birthday card tomorrow and say, it's my birthday. You have to put me in your movie. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you do that a lot because this is sort of what you did to Paul Tremblay to write your forward. You oh, made him feel bad for yeah. flipping you off in a conference. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was at ReaderCon and uh, it was like one of my favorite conventions. It's a Boston area con. And that's where I met a lot of these really great writers who are all super nice people down to earth. And like the big ones, that was where I met Peter Straub, the, the late great Peter Straub for the first time, who was just had all the time in the world for you and as a really kind person, Elizabeth Hand, another wonderful writer and very kind and generous person. And so, yeah, just, people like yeah. Peter, uh, uh, Paul Tremblay and uh, Laird Barron, um, John Langan, these guys who are all big names in horror now, they were all regulars and that was where I met them for the first time and really got to know them. And so, yeah, it was a couple of years I'd been going. And then uh, one day, one year, uh, right after I had sold my first book, um, a short story collection called Every House is Haunted. I needed an introduction for it. And I thought that Paul would be perfect for it because Paul and I, we, we've got very similar styles and we write about very similar types of horror. So um, I was checking in that year to the hotel and Paul was just sort of walking through the lobby because he doesn't, he lives near the hotel. He lives in the Boston area. So he wasn't checking in. He wasn't staying in the hotel. And I was like, hey, Paul, you know, come over here. I want to talk to you. And he just walked by and he was like, eh, just while he was walking by. I was like, what the hell? You know, so he uh, he thought it was hilarious and it was kind of funny. And eventually he came over and I was like, Paul, I was I was just about to ask you to uh, if you'd write the introduction to my collection. And Paul just got really he was like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, like, I'd, I'd, I'd be honored to, to, to read your introduction. <laughs> That's how you do, Jackie. You just got to guilt him into it. Like, yeah. You just embarrassed me in front of all of these people mm -hmm. and our peers. In the lobby. Well, the key is to flip me off first. <laughs> flip me off, and then, then, uh, then I can guilt you into feeling bad about it. Yeah. You know. So. Okay. Noted. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, Jackie would never do that. I would though, and then blame it on Jackie. Um, something yeah. to not feel bad about though is the fact that you were put up for a Shirley Jackson Award, and then you were mm -hmm. a finalist for the House on Ashley Avenue, which is. Uh, every house is haunted that it's that that's the main story short story that the movie is going to be based on right yeah it's it's a little confusing because it's a it's a collection of short stories um the the the, the film that Ramey is producing is an adaptation of the house on ashley avenue but he really likes the title of the collection so the movie is going to be called every house is haunted so um which i which i agree it's a good title it's very catchy and um yeah, that story, uh, I got a lot of mileage out of that story. The story has got a really weird, uh, weird history. I, I wrote the story like almost 20 years ago. It was supposed to be published in a ghost story journal called All Hollows. They had bought that story and another story called The Candle. Um, and then they, uh, they went out of print and they'd been publishing for years. It wasn't like it was a fly by night operation. They'd been around for a while, but uh, unbeknownst to me, they had been winding down. So these two stories never got published. And I was really bummed because I was a big fan of, uh, of all hollows, this journal. They, they, they had a press as well where they did uh, books, gorgeous books. 
So um, I never got to be in there. And um, so those two stories went into my collection as uh, as unpublished, unpublished stories. When, when you do a collection, they're typically reprints and unpublished stories. So the, uh, the House on Ashley Avenue went there as an original, and so did The Candle, which actually closes the whole collection. That's another story of mine that I, that I enjoy. Um, it's a good one to read at uh, at events because it's short and I think it's I think it reads well. But uh, yeah, anyway, um, the, the so the house on Ashley Avenue um, gets published in the collection. Um, the collection comes out, and um, I wouldn't say it was singled out by a lot of reviewers. I think some people liked it, but it's like any collection. You know, everyone's going to be very subjective in what they like if they like any of your stories. And then Ellen Datlow ended up taking the story for um, the year's best horror, or no, sorry, best horror of the year uh, for the following year. And um, she had also recommended the story to uh, a producer that she knew named Roy Lee. And he's a big Hollywood producer. He did. Uh, he pretty much started the whole um, American remakes of Japanese uh, horror films, not even just horror films. But he did like The Ring, The Grudge, The Eye. And then he did other movies that were remakes. I didn't even know they were movies like The Departed, which, which is actually a remake. Yeah. Uh, the Lake House with Keanu Reeves. That's a remake. Uh, so yeah. really, really great movies. So he he very early on became a fan of my work. And then the same year it was in uh, Best Horror of the Year, it was nominated for the Shirley Jackson Award, which was a, a very big deal for me because I'm a huge fan of, of Shirley Jackson and her sort of subversive brand of uh, almost domestic or suburban horror, I guess you would say, speculative fiction, the way that she really, like her and Richard Matheson really brought the monsters and the supernatural out of sort of gothic um, Europe and dropped it into, uh, you know, suburban North America, into, into the neighborhoods, you know. And um, so to be nominated for that award and to be a finalist uh, was really, really cool. It was, and it sounds like such a Sally Field thing, such a, you know, they love me, they really love me thing, or it's just a joy to be nominated. But it was really true. I mean, I, I didn't expect to win. I'd never been nominated really for anything. And to be nominated for such a major award um to know that you get that kind of acknowledgement for your work was just so so cool and so gratifying and while this other stuff was going on in the background with this hollywood interest um in that same story uh, i always thought it was funny for the story that no one had never seen before you know it was just it was going to be in this magazine it wasn't and then it was just sort of dumped into the collection and no one might have seen it it's uh it's the little the little story that could out of the the little collection that could as, as we call it around our house well, I'm happy that somebody dug it up and did something with it because I, I read it. Oh, I was going to give it to Jackie so she could read it, but I forgot because that's what I do. Um, <laughs> my bad. But I, I really enjoy it. I, I characterize it as like um, like men in black mm-hmm. meet, but for horror. It, it's just it's really cool. I, I liked it a lot. Um, a thought on that, because think about all of the stories that are out there in the same boat. Either, you know, they haven't been picked up through the query process or they were mm-hmm. going to get published and the house just goes under um, or, you know, it was published and just nobody knew about it. There's probably so many amazing stories out there. Yeah. I just uh, really overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think you just, you know, I, I like to think that most writers are like this. I certainly was very humbled by it. And I just, I think I knew even, even at that early stage that, uh, 
you know, I, I'm very proud of the story, obviously, and I think it's a good one. But there, but there's lots of great stories out there. There's some, there's many that are that are better than that story. So others that are there maybe not as good. So I, I know how lucky I am. Essentially, I know that it was just something that you know, it's kind of like winning the lottery in that sense. Um, and being able to have those contacts. I mean, I was just, I was just pitching something to, to Roy this week, you know, so this is someone that I've known for over 10 years in the, in the film and TV business. And he's a major, a major player, a major person who gets this stuff done. He, he's also obviously, you know, he's, always, he's producing the, the Every House is Haunted film with, with Raimi. They, they know each other. That, that was how it happened. Raimi tried, or uh, Roy tried to do this as a TV show. It was initially optioned by NBC Universal. We had, um, I can't remember the actor's name, Jack Shepard, uh, the guy from Lost, uh, the, the doctor. From oh, Lost, yeah. Was, what's his name? Party of Five. His name is Lost. I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. Jackie usually yeah. knows these names. Yeah, I can't remember. But he it's was so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> he, uh, he wanted to do it, so a pilot was written. And then, like, with TV, TV's even harder to make than, than film. So um, we got to the pilot stage. A pilot was written. Um, and then just nothing happened with it. They didn't, they didn't bother to shoot it. So... Uh, a few fun. years later, uh, Roy was talking to to Sam because they had done a few movies together. They had produced The Grudge and I think the Poltergeist remake together. So they, they were friendly and they knew each other. So Roy said to Sam, I tried to do this as a TV show and couldn't get it done. Maybe you want to try it as a feature film. So So Sam read the story and really liked it. So he reached out to me and asked me if I had the rights back. And I said I did, you know, I had the rights to it. And I said that this story is actually connected to other stories in the collection. Um, so he said, well, we'll send me the collection. I'll take a look at it. So he, I sent him the collection. And uh, this was happening right around this, uh, the start of December. So it ended up being a really, really cool uh, Christmas present for me that year. Uh, he ended up optioning all 22 stories in the book. He wanted them all. And... Um, yeah, we just went from there. It was, and it's a long. It's still a long process. I mean, you had to find the screenwriters. So he actually hired the screenwriters who did the pilot for the TV show to make the film. So they wrote the film. These two guys that did uh, they did a science fiction movie called Project Almanac, and then they did uh, the last of the um, the Paranormal Activity movies. They did uh, the Ghost Dimension, oh. I think. So so they, they've oh. done some stuff, and they've 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 sold some other stuff that's in various stages of development right now too. Mm -hmm. So they're they're doing well, and so they wrote the film, and then um, Ramey had some people that he was interested in, in directing it, which is really interesting. Like I, I was totally fully involved in the process. So when they had the names of the people they were they were considering, it was it was really it was really cool. These were these were major names, people who really really want to work with a movie. Uh, work on a movie with Sam, obviously, because who doesn't? So they went with um, Corin Hardy, who had done um, The Hollow, which is a great movie, almost kind of like a, like an Irish fairy tale, you know, uh, with this very cool practical Changelings. Effect. Changelings, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just very, very, you know, house in the woods sort of thing. Beautifully shot. Good, good practical creature effects. And he'd also done um, The Nun, which was um, a spinoff of the Conjuring movies, and and the most successful of all those movies. Ironically, it, it had made more money than even the movies it was spun off from. So, Corin was very much on their radar of someone they wanted to work with. So um, they met, and it all worked out. So uh, they were just trying to find the schedule. This was all during the pandemic, so that was slowing things mm -hmm. things down and making it wacky. And then this year, things were sort of heating up again, and then the writers went on strike, and then the actors went on strike. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're, I don't want to jinx anything, but they're sort of tentatively talking about doing going into production next spring. As I said, Corin's making a movie right now. Um, 
So, I mean, it's still happening. I mean, it keeps popping up on my Google uh, my Google alerts that everyone was at TIFF <laughs> this year, the Toronto International Film Festival, and Every House is Haunted came up. So uh, so they were all very much still talking about it and really, very excited. But no one could really speak very firmly because the writers were still on strike then, and the actors mm-hmm. had just been on strike, only, I think only about a month. But it's still an active project. I'm very confident mm-hmm. it's going to be made. They, they're all really, really hungry for it. They want to do it. So... I mean, nothing's really a sure thing, especially in film and television, but you know, I'm pretty confident it's going to be made next year. Well, I'm happy that it's going to be a film and not on NBC because you know they're going to cancel that shit like after a season because they always cancel whatever's good. Mm-hmm. It's so hard because at the time I could understand there wasn't a lot of horror TV on the cable networks. I think all there was was The Walking Dead and I think American Horror Story. This was about 10 years ago. So the idea was that it was going to compete with those types of shows, which, of course, was mind blowing for me. It's one thing to have this thing made. But the fact that they're already talking about it being their big show to be in competition with this, this and this. Mm -hmm. And Roy had only had had sort of dipped his toe into TV at that point. He had done Bates Motel, which had done very well and was looking to do more TV. So um, that was the reason why he was interested in my show. And it was really cool because when I met him, uh, he was in Toronto because they were – that was where they were making just outside of Toronto there. That's when they were where they were making the the remake of Poltergeist. So that's why he was in town and wanted to meet me. And right before I go in, the, the people I'm meeting him with are like, you know, when, when a story is optioned, they don't typically meet the writer. They just pay them and, you know, they, they that's they've got a story. So if Roy wants to meet you, he wants to meet you for a reason. And I was nervous enough. I didn't need to be told this about five minutes before I'm going in to meet this guy at his fancy downtown Toronto hotel. But the good thing is that Roy was so nice and so down to earth. And all we did was talk about movies. You know, we, we talked about stuff that we liked and I knew the stuff that he had made. And uh, my wife and I had just rewatched uh, The Strangers. And he produced that too. And so I was trying to get him to reveal some stuff about the sequel. And he was like telling me about how they're trying to get Liv Tyler to come back for this movie. So it was oh, interesting. That movie, yeah. The movie yeah. scuttlebutt about that because that didn't happen in the sequel, but they were mm. trying to make it more of a direct sequel. So even at that time, I don't think it was really going to happen. And it didn't. But it was interesting seeing this from the producing point of view because he's a very hands on producer. And I was just telling about stuff that I, uh, other other books I was working on everything and, and, and I remember very adamantly he just said like he likes to be scared he likes to be exhilarated and um he really wanted me to be involved and so what I realized after the uh, after our lunch was that it was a job interview he was meeting me to see if um he liked me and if he wanted to work with me so um when this was just about to be sold to NBC or optioned by NBC he um I was also brought on to write um, what was called show notes or like like a Bible. So I had to write five years worth of story ideas, like not five years worth completely, but enough material oh, like to, to give them an idea, seasons and character arcs, story arcs, places, locations, yeah. you know, all these kinds of things. So I had to do that in two weeks which I couldn't do in two weeks. What I did was I did as much as I could in two weeks. So it was like a 40 page document for a TV show called the eight and it was based on the house on Ashley Avenue and other stories connected to to this um, insurance company that investigates the supernatural and, and owns these eight pieces of property that are that are very dangerous, very paranormally polluted, as, as, as I would say. So, uh, yeah, so my notes were optioned as well as the story. And I was involved in that process. And um, then, yeah, like, as I said, it didn't happen. And then uh, Remy picked it up and um, he optioned the book. He optioned the whole book, not just the story. 
And I was also brought on as a, or I have been brought on as a consultant on the film. So I'll be working on it in, in some capacity. I honestly don't even really know what that means to this point. I'm happy to do whatever. <laughs> I'll go pick up coffee. I'll pick up dry cleaning. <laughs> I don't really care. Just, it's a really honor to be just like involved. rubbing people's shoulders in the back. Oh, like, yeah. And they're like, Ian, this is not what we want you to do. <laughs> no, no. They <laughs> would actually ask people. that you go. The Teamsters would ask that you leave them alone. You know, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson does not want you anywhere near her trailer, please. Wait a go. minute. Is Scarlett Johansson in your movie? Do no, you know? I should. I'm going to quantify that, or, or I'm going to say for the right. There's, there's no <laughs> casting information. I am not giving anything here. Please, you know, okay. if, if Sam Raimi or Roy Lee are watching this, I've been so good with not dishing on any of the casting choices that I have heard about or anything that you've said. I've been so good because I don't want to lose my access or piss anybody off. <laughs> oh, of course. No, we wouldn't even ask because I would assume with because the actors are still on strike, right? Yeah. Okay, because I remember they pulled out of the well, the executives pulled out of the counter. So I, I wouldn't even have asked anyway, because even if there's decisions being made, we're not going to call people out. Like let them. Yeah, get them. there, there was, there was some cool talk, and obviously, when you've got people like Roy Lee and Sam making it, Sam Raimi making it, that you know, you can get the cream of the crop, you can get the A-list actors if that's what they want, and they don't want to go with people that are smaller, maybe, maybe less known. Um, but I know people that they've, that they've been interested in uh, whether or not they're interested in and they're literally going to approach those people or if this is just sort of pie in the sky wouldn't it be great if these these two investigators were played by these two people or whatever and all i can say is that yeah the the, the names i heard were really cool um whether or not those people were actually approached or, or are going to be approached i don't know again it's so it's the, with the whole film and tv thing i i haven't been around a lot but i've been around a, enough to know it's all nice it's all it's all cool but until people sign contracts, until things are being done, mm -hmm. it's all just nice talk. You know, it's just you don't yeah. you don't want to get disappointed. You don't want to get your hopes up too much. And I'm a very enthusiastic. I'm very high energy, if you haven't noticed already. So it'd be very easy for me to get really invested just because of that kind of talk. So I always have to try and pull it back a bit and be like, well, let's just wait. Let's wait to see who's actually involved. Let's wait until they're actually doing something. That's so next year or the year after, whenever this movie comes out, and then mm -hmm. Jackie and I will do the screen adaptation for the podcast, and then we'll have you back to interview you. What will happen then is Paul Tremblay and Sam Raimi are like, like they're just in the distance now. It's going to be like Scarlett Johansson and Brad Pitt. He's like, you know, mm -hmm. we totally like it. There, we had dinner. We had dinner. We went to coffee. They're actually in my like house the, right now. <laughs> it'll be like the movie adaptation of the book. So, yeah. So we'll bring Paul back again, book style. So he'll introduce the movie this time. And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's great, Paul. Uh, the door's over there, by the way. You can get your gift basket. Yeah. You know, the rest of us are just going to be here continuing. So, Like, you're not even there to meet him. It's just like an assistant. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send exactly him just cats, me. You know, I'll send Barnabas okay. there, you know. <laughs> it's going to be me and Barnabas at the door like, hey, Paul so happy you could show up yeah ian's gonna need you to sign this thank you exactly um, I, you know, I, I you going through because then i can do the gift basket i can strap it to his back and him to sort of wobble it out you know <laughs> i i like that and i feel like we should just make that happen anyway absolutely you know everyone's looking at me like what i'm like no we're gonna do it i do have a question though about that 40 page document sure. those two weeks while you were working on that which cat was laying on your laptop um, I don't know for a fact, but again, because I'm still walking today and I'm not on crutches or anything, it definitely wasn't well, Gozer. 
and I apologize for the repeated fashion, but you just, you don't understand. I've never had a cat this big. I grew up with cats. We've had, I've had a dozen cats over the course of my life. I've never had a cat this big, this angry, this aggressive. Um, he was definitely not on my lap. Uh, it was probably Barnabas because he sticks pretty close. He's always in my, uh, my office. Um, I think I showed before, but I showed it again. Like, whoa. He, uh, I have another desk in my office, and all there is on it is a blanket because it's his desk. So, do your cats he's probably, like? He's probably part- writing over there. I just I don't want to know what he's writing because he'll probably finish it and sell it before I do, and that's just going to make yeah. me angry. You know, like he's already signed. He's got an agent and everything. Oh yeah, he's working. Yeah. He's got yeah. an advance. Well, and again, coming. like my. Uh, my Blackland series with my my detective character Felix Wren, like he keeps bugging me that the the character should be named Feline Wren. It should all be cat themed, you know, like the Black Catlands. Like no, no, it would sell because people agree. love cats. They do, especially on the internet. You put some, you put a picture up of a cat. This is what happens: cats draw people in, and then you yeah. hook them. It hooked me, and here we are. Well, you're already I, talking about him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, so he. Oh my god, he's so love that. Yeah, he just babe. he just wants to be around me all the time. He sort of drives me up the wall. But I mean, when he looks like that, I mean, you can't you can't oh, you can't say no to that face. You know, he looks like me. He's definitely his father's son. He's he's got more fur oh than I do. God. You know, but so he's a lap cat. But yeah. does he oh, yeah. like? Have you ever been at the computer, you know, writing or, or doing whatever? It just because my cat, I have one of my cats does that. Doesn't matter what I'm doing, I could have just my iPad with the keyboard. She mm-hmm. has to come over and walk across it mm-hmm. always. But the second I put it down and leave it alone, she doesn't care about it. Yeah, Ooh, she doesn't walk food. on it. But he does chew on it. Like I've got videos of him, and I'll be like, "Don't chew the keyboard," and because he'll try and pop the keys off. And it's, it's not every every time. But he's just he's he is a really weird cat. He's he's sort of like a uh, we say he's kind of like a dog. Sometimes he's just very loyal. He follows me around. He uh, he's very obedient in that sense. <clears throat> but he wants attention. Like he's in my office. There's you can't even see it. There's cat toys over there. He's there's this giant box. And he's got his rituals. He's got his silly rituals where you have to play with him. He starts rolling around. He starts talking to you. But my, my wife and I don't have any kids. So we've become the freaky cat people. And this is just what we do to indulge them because they're our children. It just We don't have to you know spend $80,000 sending them to university. So there's that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm serious. I'd fuck them kids. I got five. Fuck them all. You have five kids? Yeah, they range from 19 to 10. Wow. Yeah, screw them. Good for you. No. Not at all. <laughs> screw <them>. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, we we, we, I, we I, went to a dark place there for a second. <laughs> I saw the no, tear they're, coming they're down. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, we have, so we have four daughters and our son is the youngest. He's 10. Um, having four teenage girls is like, I would say I wasn't there but maybe like Vietnam. Mm. Just, yeah. How is it's your house traumatic. wide enough to report, record any type of podcast with four teenage girls in your house? Oh, no, they're not in the house anymore. So two uh-huh. of them are in California and then two of them are in Maryland right now doing, doing would... stuff. So my son's the only one that's in the house and our dogs aren't barking, which I thought was going to happen. Um, but <laughs> my husband comes home and then the dogs are like, oh, my God, we've been so good. 
all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Ronan's like, I have, I haven't been barking for forty five minutes straight. I promise you, not at all. Stephen came up here and he's like, What do you mean, <laughs> Ronan's been barking? I'm like, He's been barking for forty five fucking minutes. He's like, I walked in the door and he was just sitting there, like really nice. I go, You know what? I'm done. Done. Well, you, done. Uh, you, you can't see this. <laughs> You can't see how much cat forever to go. I already had to defer from last time because I, I insisted on wearing the same shirt, but this is my cool Halloween. Uh, you can't see it, but it's. Does the, it glow in the dark? I think it does, but it's the uh, the conjuring of Lucifer. <laughs> I need to I tell my that. sister about that. She loves the cat shirts. She has two cats. There's there's Frankie another one. I am my, my like seriously, my wife and I. There was about 15 minutes about what cat shirt I was going to wear because it's this one, and there's another one with just a girl with a portal. And I should have done the portal because the Blacklands is my series about supernatural portals, and she's just there's cats all over her bedroom, and there's a big demonic portal, and it says something like. Uh, Welcome to the cat dimension or something. And all it is is just cats are just coming out through a demonic portal as they do, you know? Yeah, as they do. I think Sarah J. Mass wrote about that as well. One of her books yep. is a cat. Yep, mm-hmm, we know. Yeah, Carolyn is the cat's name for your sister, right? From Poltergeist? Yeah. Carolyn. That's a good yeah, name. Yeah, my sister's obsessed. She is obsessed. Poltergeist is probably like easily like one of my top five. That's... Uh, that, the, the, the novel that I just finished writing is a novel called Family, and I that's how I was pitching it to my uh, my manager and my agent was I said that it's kind of the well what I'm hoping will be the sort of like the spiritual successor of Poltergeist. Where I just I wanted to do a really powerful supernatural drama, and actually it goes back to uh, we, we were joking but serious about the the conversation I had with uh, with Sam Raimi earlier this year. Um, we were talking about supernatural dramas and uh, you know, he's known for sort of these gonzo crazy uh, horror movies and he loves them, but he also likes the subtlety of a movie like, uh, like the gift that he made with mm-hmm. uh, Cate Blanchett and, uh, and, and a lot of other people, Keanu Reeves, there's a lot of big names in that film. So he asked me if I could uh, try and come up with an idea for him like that, for him to direct. And I came up with this idea for family and he liked it, but didn't feel that it was quite right for him, but I still liked it. I thought it was really great. I'd written about a a 16 or 17 page film treatment. And that was what I used to write um, this novel. I had a publisher and I pitched it to him and he loved it, but said, can you give it to me for October? And I was like, ugh. Um, So going to Amsterdam for, uh, for about two weeks um, when I was supposed to start this thing. So it's like, I'm already going to be be losing those two weeks to work on this thing. But I said, what the hell? I'm not doing anything else for the summer. So, uh, and I write full time. So, um, so I started it around the end of April, early May, and then yeah, finished it by October 1st. And we, <laughs> I won't get into it, but we had, my wife and I had, and are still having the sort of the summer from hell. Our uh, our families are just uh, not doing well medically, so we've become sort of like oh. the, the caregiver for multiple members of our family, and we're and we're happy to do it. So family is what you do, but it was just in addition to everything else that was going on, it was just it felt like there was just let's just keep piling on all this stuff. So uh, my wife works at a university and does great stuff there. Um, I work full time as a writer, and I think having these outlets, me having this book to write all summer. And her having her stuff that she does at university end up being the, these outlets for us that you just you kind of have to need because you know when you're doing stuff if anyone's done anything for for family that's that's sick that's very seriously ill in a caregiving capacity it can really consume your life and um, you need to have other outlets you need to have other things that you're doing my, my wife and I just went away this past weekend for our wedding anniversary 
And um, I think it was the first thing we had done since that Amsterdam trip earlier this year. And we just realized how desperately we needed to go. In. And, and we just went away for for the night. We were just we were just away for uh, Niagara Falls uh, for, for overnight and came right back on, on the Saturday. And um, yeah, it's just uh, it's been a powerful, brutal you know, exciting, depressing summer, very, lots of highs and lows. I, I would keep joking that it was the summer of no middle ground. It was either this or it was kind of this. Mm. So we're, we, we're very positive people. We try to be as much as we can. And um, that's what I said. I got this book out of it that was sort of inspired by these conversations I had with Sam and um, a publisher who's, uh, who's reading it right now, who's going to be doing it, uh, publishing it next year. It's weird. I mean, you, you look back on a book and you worry about and you think about the things that inspire you. And I don't think there's enough attention uh, given to the time when you write these things that can inspire you. You might have an idea, you might see mm-hmm. something. But I think I'll always go back and think, oh, that was this that was the book I wrote in the summer of uh, 2023 when all these things were going on. That's I'm well, I'm sorry to hear about your um, family's medical things i mean that's it is rough i I've, I've been there mm-hmm. done that we'll probably have to do it again here soon so I, yeah i feel for you so i'm sorry for that i hope it gets better however that may look yeah thank um, you no it's it was just overwhelming i think it was just my wife's family and my my family just all everyone it was a combination of people getting sick and it felt like people just suddenly got old overnight. And it was mm-hmm. just, again, like you said, we, these things are inevitable and you know that they're mm-hmm. coming, but it was just it, it, for all of it to be happening all at once was, was, was pretty overwhelming. And, and we, as I said, we are very, we're very positive and very optimistic people and hard workers, but we're only still one person each. So it's still been, it's still been a lot, but we're trying, we're trying to be positive. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's all you can do. That's all you, all can, you can do. do. Um, yeah. So that's actually, that's really, because, you know, people always want to ask authors, like, where do you get your inspiration from? Where, how do you come mm-hmm. up with your ideas? And I've, I've always thought that was a weird question. I know it's hard. It's difficult for authors to answer that because it's always going to probably be different, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you went through this situation and you're getting inspiration from it. You might just be like, in the grocery store looking at a can of beans and mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's just a story in your head. I'm sure. I mean, that's how it works for me. A writing as well. Um, it, there's no formula. There's no system yeah. that you're following to get these ideas. Right. Uh, but I would like to know mm-hmm. how much of, how much inspiration do you get from your cats? Oh, well, you know what? It's funny because there is a cat in Family, the book that I just finished, and my wife is just in the process of reading. My, again, my wife is a fast reader. She usually reads this stuff fast, but the fact that all this stuff has been going on lately, she's had the book for about two weeks and hasn't finished. She's about halfway through, and she got to a fairly suspenseful scene with this cat in the book, and she stopped, and she was like, I'm not reading anymore until I know this cat's okay. She's and like, I got I enough like, shit going on right now. I don't need this. <laughs> well, exactly. And, and she's not wrong. But I mean, I was like, well, I'm no, I don't give out spoilers, you know. And of course, she hit me first. And then I was on the ground sort of going like this because you don't say that to 
to the person who loves you and supports you. But it was just like, oh, is that where you got? I don't want to ruin the suspense. I don't want to ruin the story. But for her, she's one of these people. And again, I'm not knocking it. Who just really does not like any type of violence towards animals in, in film or, or or books. And and I don't like it either. But sometimes the story demands it. I'm never gratuitous, mm. but I'm not usually gratuitous with violence in general for no good reason. And I and I love animals as well too. But I didn't want that to limit the story if the story demanded these things to happen so it wasn't something that necessarily happened to the cat in the story it was just sort of again a moment of suspense and i didn't want to spoil it for her but i had to kind of reassure her in a certain way so she would keep reading and stop hitting me um so that uh she would sort of appreciate the book and, and know that i wouldn't do that to even a fictional animal in my story like you know i'm not nick cutter you know and i can say that because nick cutter is a friend of mine but Nick is just like, you see an animal in that story. It's kind of like Chekhov's gun, except the gun is going to be shooting an animal because he's oh just, I don't know what his problem Shot is, but dogs, cats, turtles, but you know, they must've wronged him in his childhood because there's an animal in Nick cut cutter story and it's flame on, you know, the, you know, it's no holes barred. Oh my God. I know I can't do animals. I know Mother Horror, uh, Sadie Hartman writes a lot about she skims always animal horror. Or if it's brutal, she will opt out of it. Mm-hmm. A, I believe, your or yours is more children. A is not a, a big um, mm-hmm. abuse or, or harm to children. What's your trigger, Jackie? I don't know. Um I mean, I know as far as horror goes, I can't do body horror in general. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't. Like, if we're talking movies, Saw movies, Hostel, stuff like that, I cannot handle yeah. it. I can, I can do those movies. Jackie's I just don't enjoy them. Like, it's just not my jam. Like, I'm not, I'm not against it. It's just it doesn't really, like, bother me. But I just, like, gore for the sake of gore doesn't really do anything for me. I mean, it's showing off special effects. Great. You know, like, you're very talented. But if it doesn't serve the story in some way, I don't. You so know, what you're saying I'm is that really you're not interested. a Cronenberg fan? No, Cronenberg. Yeah. Other than that, yeah. I have no sacred cows. I mean, I'll do anything in a story if this, if the, if this, if the story itself really demands it, and she's, you have to. I mean, you can't really be beholden to anything if that's uh, if that's where you go, right? I mean, it's, and it's horror. I mean, I think horror they sort of expect that. I don't try to push anyone's real buttons. I'm usually just trying to, to tell a story as effectively as I can, in in the best way that I can. But I mean, obviously there are. You know, if you talk about like splatterpunk, that's the sort of purpose is the, is the gross out that sort of to go to the extreme, you know, extreme horror. And again, I I don't I haven't read a lot of it, so I mean, I wasn't I was never really like a big fan of someone like Richard Lehman, um, who I think is probably one of the most famous person uh, for for doing those types of uh, of stories. And again, uh, it's just because it's not my jam doesn't mean that it's not good or other people don't appreciate it, but. I mean, I guess that's why I like horror. There's there's lots of different flavors, you know. I th- I think people yeah, it's a don't very like very large. They they hear that they hear horror and they think just of the gore. You know, if 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 they're turned off mm-hmm. by horror and they have no experiences, typically they think all horror is that, and it's mm-hmm. not. You know, there's there's a lot of subtleties to horror too. Yeah, there's just lots of horror out there that's just so suggestive more than explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and very, very beautiful. Oh, yeah. Question yeah, look at the movie is, like The Haunting um, or, or Lake Mungo. I mean, yeah. there's phenomenal movies where not even, like, even a movie like The Blair Witch, where it's just like there's not a lot of a drop of blood spilled, but it's terrifying, right? There's not even a monster. There's not even a visual, there's no rubber suit, there's no CGI. So, I mean, you can mm-hmm. still scare people without buckets of blood, right? Oh, yeah. 
without yeah without even violence right it's just mm-hmm. the uh, what's the the, the gift uh, no the the grip of it or whatever by um oh my god oh yeah what's their name? jack jemsey or Jem- Jemsey? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 that i mean that book is just the pacing of it is ridiculous and there's mm-hmm. really nothing happening really but no. I, that book made me turn my lights on yeah, like, well, it's never very, it's very postmodern, very, it's very like a, like a millennial, like a yuppie, you know, post, mm-hmm. like they're, 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 they're like, they're haunted of almost like their postmodern lives. Like it's very, it's a very modern haunting, I guess is what you would say. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That story. It's cool. It's really cool. I, I enjoyed that story. I, I wasn't expecting to. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this story with, with the cat harm yes. that's happening in it. Would you say, because you wrote this story during that time that you're dealing, you know, with some family stuff and that, that mm-hmm. is hard, right? Do you look at your stories and, and think about when you wrote them? And do you know if what's happening, like your level of being upset or um, angry or frustrated, do you think your stories become more violent during that? Or do you do you just have like a, a certain way that you like to write and there's certain things you want to put in there? Do emotions yeah, drive it for you? I, if I, if I am, I'm not being, I'm not aware of it. I mean, especially mm-hmm. with, with family, I think part of the reason why I was able to write it so fast is because I was working from a fairly extensive outline, which I don't always do. I usually have some sort of an outline, but my outlines are not written in stone. They're really just guides. Cause I don't want to forget anything. If I think of a good line of dialogue or a good description or, or I have the ending, I don't want to forget. I, I write it down because I don't I don't want to forget. I'm not one of these people who will remember everything. You know the uh, mm-hmm. the outliners versus the pantsers. You know the the you know right by the seat of their pants. I just I can't do that. I need I need to record this stuff. So I I think the the only thing that's really stood out to me from from uh, from my one person who's 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 been re- re- reading it. You know as, as I'm next to her, which is my wife is she's been noticing that there is um, a lot of her in one of the characters and a lot of us in the relationship between the the wife and the husband character, which I knew to a certain degree. I mean, you always draw a bit from real life, but she was yeah. drawing out lines and stuff. And I was like, oh, right, that's right. You did say that. So fortunately, it was nothing too embarrassing or too awful because um, the the, ham- the family is kind of at loggerheads at some point because that's the sort of point of the story without giving too much of it away. But it was funny because uh, a line that she had read was... Um, a character had, uh, um, they're at a picnic and they, they've got a bucket of KFC or something. And, uh, the, I think it's one of the kids, one of their kids is just, it doesn't like chicken, but keeps peeling the, the skins off the chicken and dipping it in, in gravy. And she, she got it. She laughed out of that because she remembered where I got that from. She knew where I got that from. It was a friend of ours who, when she was pregnant with her last child, um, that was her pregnancy food that she had to eat. She, she would go to KFC. She would get a bucket of chicken. She wouldn't eat the chicken. She would peel the skins off and dip them in gravy. It sounded so like revolting slash delicious that I don't know. I don't even honestly know if I remembered that that was what I was referencing when I wrote that that scene in the book. But uh, my wife Catherine remembered it, and that's like, oh yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> Oh, so you always Jackie, draw from real life, you know? <laughs> I feel like, Jackie, if you were to write a horror story, it would really just be a family sitting around a table eating things slathered in ranch dressing. Mm-hmm. There's something there about that that gives you yeah, There would be mayonnaise and bananas involved and somewhere a bird would come in. 
Jackie's well, probably never... one of the most like even people, but if you bring those foods up or bring them around, she becomes violent. Well, never never yeah. underestimate <laughs> the power of 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 what we think of as our mundane lives. Like uh, if you're a writer, I mean, I don't I don't teach a lot of writing stuff. I don't I don't know that I have anything to really teach. I like to talk. You know, sometimes it's just a matter of keeping your students or your class entertained. But never underestimate the power of of what you feel is your mundane life to add details and verisimilitude to to your story because those are the things that people remember those are the things that create character and if you have good characters in a story then people will care what happens to them and when they care what happens to your characters that's that's all plot is that's all story is is stuff happening to people you've been made to care about and even in a even in thomas harris's hannibal lecter stories hannibal mm-hmm. lecter is a serial killer and he's a cannibal we should hate him, but he's fascinating. He's a very interesting character. So even when he's trying to escape from the authorities, there's a part of you, if not a large part of you, that's kind of rooting for him. You almost don't want him to get caught because you want to see what he's going to do or how he's going to get out of this pickle that he's in. So if you can do that with a character who, who in that case is a cannibalistic you know, sociopath, then, then you know you're a good writer. You're, do- I feel like you're doing something right if you can make these people who aren't necessarily sympathetic or people that you would certainly not want in your own home, um, at least interesting enough. You don't, you don't. I don't feel like you have to have sympathetic characters necessarily. There's, I know there's a big bit of a thing these days um, uh, on social media about uh, one of many weird, 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 very weird criticisms about writing and characters, and people shouldn't be writing about this or characters should be that. Characters should just be interesting. They don't, they don't need to be good people. They don't need to be nice people. They don't even need to be likable. Mm-hmm. I would prefer if they're not likable. Because who wants to read about vanilla, perfect characters doing the right thing all the time? Nothing interesting is happening in any of those books. I will guarantee you. We like people that are flawed, that are interesting. It goes back to something I read in an interview when, when the TV show Lost was on, which is one of my favorite TV shows. And they said they did not want to write about good people or bad people. They wanted to write about people that do good and bad things at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, like real it's people, normal. in other words, you know. Because you have different priorities. You have different standards, morals, right? Not everyone yeah. is, is playing on the same field or by the same rules. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you might relate to one over the other one. Um, I mean, look at the romance genre that's going out there. I mean, some of your top romances are one is literally about a stalker, a stalker <laughs> who breaks into her house. And this, uh, don't get me wrong, I, I read this duology and I also very liked it. Um, but he is a stalker. Um, and it, it's one of the top ones. And I mean, there are romances that have literal monsters, monsters, and demons. And women mm-hmm. are like, this is so romantic. <laughs> and they are awful, but because they treat the women good, they're like, I don't care what you do. You kill everybody. It's fantastic. I love you. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's just, again, that's how you set up the character. Like, they're doing so many wrong things, but when they go home and they're just so nice to their cat, you're like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything bad to happen to this character. And you're like, he's literally killing and eating people. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? It's like, yeah, but. Look at his cats. They're doing so it's, well. It's very They're weird, so- but what you can, uh, what you can, what you can put readers through, and what you can't. Uh, we talked about obviously violence against animals, and especially violence against dogs. There was there's a whole thing about uh, less in less in books, but especially in film and television. But what you can and can't do to a dog, it's 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 fascinating. Cats, no one cares. 
for whatever reason. But dogs, there there are very very specific rules, and even in in um, the Jack Ketchum uh, book and the film, I think it's called Red, about the guy who's an old guy whose dog just is is murdered by these uh, jerk teenagers. Or John Wick, you know, like uh, the whole precept mm-hmm. of that series is based on this guy's dog um, dying. That it's his, it's his, um, his wife. Uh, I think it's his wife or his girlfriend's dying gift to him. Uh, yeah, his wife. Wife, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. but they're very specific about what they show and what they don't show. And I, and I know that because my wife was very reluctant to to watch that film. And I said, well, if it's bad, I'll fast forward to it, but I'll, I'll check it out first. And it, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it still it has to be a bad enough that you're you're carrying mm-hmm. that gravitas to the rest of the film because it has to be powerful to bring him back into the criminal life. But you don't want it to be gratuitous because no one wants to watch that. Even myself, who I'm not as bothered by it because I know in film and TV it's not real. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not diminishing that feeling that say for example my wife feels that it's still designed to look real so it can therefore still cause real real trauma and real triggering so you don't need to see that like nothing is gained from that so i felt mm-hmm. I, I i haven't watched john wick the first one very many times but i felt like it was still done fairly respectfully i don't i don't remember mm-hmm. thinking that it was awful and obviously it was such a big popular movie that if it was awful i don't think they would have ever done another one much less three or four but yeah it's you have to be careful i feel like you not even careful sorry there should be consideration i guess is what you should say Mm -hmm. what you what i would say yeah because uh you know producers and and writers and publishing companies as well know that you have to it's for an audience and if you know they know that not everyone's gonna appreciate everything but Mm -hmm. there's certain things that are almost universal and if you're going to put the the book out there or the movie out there where it's just a lot of gratuitous um, animal mm-hmm. cruelty, you know that you're going to be losing a large audience mm-hmm. of people. Um, so when it needs to be there, but you don't want to lose that audience, I think the way they did it in John Wick, I don't think you see anything. No, I think there is anything. a sound and then mm-hmm. there's like a trail and then mm-hmm. the dog's just like on his chest. Because um, I was also reluctant. I think Stephen had to fast forward as well because i'm like no no i don't know mm-hmm. because it was happening right they break into the house and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden the dog i'm like i'm not watching this i'm out <laughs> you're on your own <laughs> fuck this movie but he's like no mm-hmm. no they don't do anything so I, i'm with you yeah it's like john wick more like john prick i'm not watching this you know yeah, like fuck yeah. that movie it's right there but then um was it uh, the third movie they actually shoot a dog but he's wearing a vest but I just love. He's like, you shot my dog, and everyone's like, I know. Mm-hmm. This is like John Wick's. John Wick is a great franchise they did, um, or a series, I should say. Question: Since you were talking about, you know, really making characters, um, readers care about characters, right? Mm-hmm. That's how you have a good story. Um, from your personal works. Who do you think that character is? Oof. Like, who are you the most proud of character-wise? Well, the one I've written about most extensive, I, I think, you know, it sort of way towards the, the ones you've spent the most time with. I will say that in, I do feel like in a certain way, I kind of leveled up my game, whether because I had to write it really fast or because I was writing something really prepared and like you said, maybe it was because of the summer that was going through around me in the background, in the foreground. I really, really liked the family, the, the Bennets that I wrote about in, in family. I'd never really written 
um, about a family before. Most of my characters are sort of protagonists, like like single protagonists, or they're in a couple or whatever. But writing about sort of a traditional suburban family with kids, I think because it was almost so typical, I didn't want to write about that. So I knew when I wrote these guys, I really wanted them to be kind of that nuclear family, but I also wanted them to be different without trying to be different, you know. And then again, without trying to apply too much effort to it, I needed it. I needed the writing and the characters themselves to feel effortless. So I think they're probably collectively the most recent ones I've been proud of. But there is something to be said about the longer arc that I've grown into with my private eye character, Felix Wren, that I read about in my Blackland series, just because I've been writing about him for about 15 years now. And it's kind of like, um, I think Stephen King described it, uh, writing this way a bit and on writing is that you're kind of like uh, uncovering a dinosaur fossil. You're, you're sort of digging this thing up and you're uncovering p- pieces of it. You're discovering these things. And that's the way I sort of feel like I am with Felix. There's stuff that I know about him. There's stuff that I know about his background that I haven't revealed yet. But sometimes I'll be writing a story and then it just goes this way. And, I, and I've uncovered something that I didn't even know about him. Um, certain depths to this character, parts of his background, his upbringing. Um, when you first meet him, he's uh, he's getting a divorce from his ex-wife, uh, from, from his wife who is a, uh, a former actress, uh, a former scream queen, um, coming sort of the tail end of her career. And um, I would say writing their relationship where they're trying to become friends again, they're never going to get, I don't think they'll, they'll, they would ever uh, become romantically involved again. But I mm-hmm. thought it was so interesting to sort of explore um, the typical PI with his back talking uh, um, assistant, you know, the, the, what you would see in, innumerable pi stories since like the 1930s or 40s you would have this character and there'd be that sexual tension there with this back talking um, assistant so when i first created these characters it was like well what if the detective actually you know slept with that character and they had a relationship and i was like no no let's go even further what if what if they got married and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting but let's go even further what's well let's say they got married they got divorced and now they're trying to see if they can become friends afterwards. So that way I've gone past the whole, will they ever have sex? Will they ever get married? I've done all that. I've told that story. Now I'm much more interested in these two characters that um, they're not quite done with each other. And they're trying to decide if they can be friends and what that relationship looks like because they do need each other. Felix needs an assistant. Sandra needs his, that's his, his, uh, his ex-wife, Sandra, uh, needs a job. And so she becomes his assistant and his his help through all these sort of supernatural cases that he works on. But that's what I loved about them is um, is they have this whole history together, and it's never about. I wanted to remove all that stuff that that sexual tension that you saw in certain later seasons with say uh, the X Files with Mulder and Scully, where I feel mm-hmm. like the show kind of diminished a bit after it made them a couple because everyone was like, oh, are they ever going to get together? Ever going to get together? And then they did it, and then no one really liked and everyone's it. Everyone's like, no, but, we don't care anymore. <laughs> we don't care. It's just, it was just it was better when they didn't do that. But the fans were driving them towards that. So it's sort of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So I thought another way to avoid that with with my series was, well, they already did that. So they're not going to do that again. And on the contrary, mm-hmm. 
here's all these reasons why, because they, so they have all this history. So from a storytelling point of view, it's great because I can pull all this stuff, this drama from their past, and it actually enriches them as characters in this story and the relationship that they have going forward, because it's a very dark and scary world the, the, of the world of the Blacklands where the supernatural just exists that Felix, even though he's a, he's a confirmed loner and now bachelor still needs people. He needs help mm-hmm. in his life. And I like the, uh, I like the, the perceived weakness, but it's actually the strength of that um, and his character. So uh, yeah, that's my long answer of saying that yeah, the family in the story that I just wrote, the novel that I just wrote, and then the longer arc of these two characters in the Black Fence that I've been writing about for about 15 years. I love how our horror author that we're interviewing is talking about his horror supernatural noir series, but really he just described the second chance romance. <laughs> this is this is his uh, his cross genre piece that he's working on. He's going to be top of like the romance and the like paranormal charts, maybe both, you know, like it's a paranormal romance all of a sudden. Well, it'll never be as smutty. It'll never be as smutty as Charlene Harris. And I I said, like, this is why I call them super noir trolls or supernatural noirs as opposed to urban fantasy, because Mm -hmm. everyone knows urban fantasy is. And if your bookstore has an urban fantasy section, that's probably where say Sycamore, the novel that I just sold, the, the very first um, Blacklands Felix Wren novel will be uh, would be put. But I, I say supernatural noir because urban fantasy became, at least for a time, became so synonymous with paranormal romance. And my joke was always like, if Felix had a vampire girlfriend and a werewolf sidekick, I would absolutely call it urban fantasy. But mm. it doesn't, so it, it hews more towards detective fiction and 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 the horror element. Like this, this stuff is very scary. People die. There isn't a huge, uh, you know, um, romantic component. And again, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the anti paranormal romance because these two already had a romance. Now you're just getting the dregs and their drama. And oh, Felix, more of the time you almost burned down our apartment with that cheap Christmas tree that you bought that one year. So it's just like it's real history. And where do I draw it from? My relationship with my wife and every other relationship <laughs> I've had. I mean, it's just like you know, because it's real. You know, it's not awful, but it's real. Real, real life is messy. You know, and I like that because it's oh, real. Yeah. So basically, when we're reading Ian's stories from now on, and there's something between a couple where the wife's like, oh, my God, we're just now we know that Ian is probably unbearable to live with. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw all that drama into the book. When my wife was reading um, uh, Family uh, while we were on our little uh, anniversary getaway, there was just these little looks. It was like, is this me? And I was like, um, I don't know who you're talking about, like the cat. She's like, She's no, like no, how no, dare wife, you? The wife's supposed to be me. And I was like, I don't know. Oh. Just came to me. I just woke up and it was there. I, well, I, I was like, what's you. the wife's name in the story, Catherine? I was like, well, her name's Laura. I was like, well, then I guess it's not you. It's okay, baby. <laughs> also, this is not a real person. They don't have agency and they cannot get consent. So Yeah, she's not buying that. She, is, she, has, she didn't buy that with any of the cat stuff. So that's not going to fly with the human characters, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> oh, my God. So favorite character, but now I want to know. And we'll start to close this out just a little bit. Favorite cat character or favorite cat in a horror novel. And we did this last time. Nobody can steal my pick. I'm still going with Pet Cemetery and Churchill. Mm -hmm. 
by Stephen I'm King. still, we, we turned this into a Stephen King fest because we all felt like that he's a little guy. He's not getting a lot of attention these days. He probably needs the the money. He needs the shout out for his yeah. work, you know. So I'm still going. I should going. probably tag him in this. Okay, we should tag him. You know, he'll do it. He actually responded <laughs> to a tweet of mine recently. That I, 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 that was like my brush with celebrity when I had like 500,000 views on a tweet. It was kind of unbelievable i never had anything like that before like oh that's what it must be like to be famous and i'm not famous but it was like it was like i brushed shoulders with stephen king at a bus station it was like that's what it's like because i'm not famous but stephen king is interacting with me on the interwebs Mm -hmm. okay yeah it was pretty cool and it was over nothing i was just talking about his new book because it opens on on my birthday and it was like october 20th october 17th twenty. 17 or something so i had about 45 people going oh are you eight years old and it was just like yeah you're not the first person to make that joke and here's a slow clap for all of you who made that joke you know i get it i was just saying the date this the october 17th stephen king didn't make that joke so you guys don't get to make that joke you know but it's twitter you know it's twitter it's a it's a it's a toxic hellhole so you just you make the best that's what i call it yeah it's, so, I sorry. Call uh, yeah, sorry. my story, uh, my Stephen King, I'm still going with uh, the cat from hell, the hitman who was hired to kill this cat who has been systematically killing this rich family who um, they're a big pharma family and they are responsible for this drug. And the drug was tested on thousands of cats, um, animal testing. So this cat, um, this guy believes has come back to kill him and his family and the hitman is just trying to take out this cat and can't do it and i just i just loved it it's, it's a pure revenge story from the point of view of a cat i mean it doesn't get any better than that you know i don't even think stephen king's a cat guy I'm pretty sure he's a dog guy so it's it's an it's another weird little outlier of a story in terms of uh yeah king kills cats all the times but this is the where the cat gets to you know his comeuppance his cat uppance you know He's like, I gotta have one in there. So if any, if PETA comes after me, I can be like, look at this, look at this story. Yeah, cat wins, kind of. Exactly. Really. Only wins. He wins hard. <laughs> he, he pulls a uh, he pulls an alien, and that almost he doesn't quite burst out of the guy's chest, but it's a close thing. You know, it's uh, the the adaptation of it from uh, from Tales from the Dark Side, and I think mm-hmm. that was like nineteen. I want to say nineteen ninety. Doesn't doesn't the cat come like through his throat? Through his throat, he comes right out of his mouth, and it was a good yeah. effect. It was a good effect for nineteen ninety. Like now, this is gonna be one of these things. I'll watch it now, and it hasn't aged well after thirty it years. Oh, it looks so stupid, well. but I recall it being. <laughs> Fairly effective. Jackie's face. She's like, yeah, oh. it, it, it hasn't aged well. Mm. We watched it a few nights ago, and I was laughing while my husband cringed the whole time. Oh. Hey, uh, which one did you pick? Cat's eye, because a oh, cat Stephen is. King. Yeah, because a cat pretty much is the entire protagonist that mm-hmm. just beats the hell out of this little gnome. Yeah, with bells that comes out of a wall randomly to suck the life out of this little girl as they do you know it's just the cat is the superhero in the whole damn book Mm -hmm. and it makes no sense because like he get the cat gets like dropped off the cat goes through a nightmare somehow the cat finds its way back beats the shit out of little fucking wall troll and they live happily ever after Mm-hmm. I think it was Drew Barrymore too, wasn't it? She playing the little girl. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, I think it was before Firestarter. Right. 
I think really? that was her first one, and then she went Firestarter. Firestarter, I believe. Yeah, it was. It was three Stephen King stories, and they decided to use the cat as the kind of connective tissue to sort of uh, connect all three of the stories, as I recall. Mm-hmm. Well, Jackie is not um, a prolific Stephen King reader. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. we've read because we've done a couple of his stuff for the podcast. We've done his non-horror. Um, uh, Shawshank and the body, the body. Oh yeah, well, I, got them. I don't, I don't I've know if there's a so cat. Yeah, I don't know if there's a cat for you to choose from a Stephen King. Isn't there a cat in Room fourteen oh eight? Jackie has not read that. Mm, I don't think so. Reported. The short story. I'm pretty sure the cat. I'm pretty sure the room is empty. That's a that's is a scary really? story though. That's a good story. Yeah, it's really creepy. Well, Jackie, you don't have to use horror. You can just use any book. With your favorite cat. Come on, Jackie, you can do it. Does it have to be a book? Because I can pull from real life. Oh my <laughs> God, Jackie. I don't know. Uh, I don't pay attention to cats in books. Jackie's a cat hater. Yeah, it sounds like. I'm it. not a cat hater, I'm a cat tolerator until they wake me up in the middle of the night gnawing on my arm mm-hmm. i kind of want to mm-hmm. write uh it's my idea like i have no idea for this but i want to end up writing the watership down but for cats and i'm going to call it like litter box lawn or something like it'll be some play on words of some names but uh i want to do for for rabbits with watership down i want to do that with cats you should down do like great. a collection or an anthology where it's just all cat stories. Please tell me it'll be feral. Yeah, oh, I think they have to be feral. You know, I think uh, I'll mix it up a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think they. So it would be, it would be, feral. It would be like Lord of the Flies, but with I cats. was just thinking that yeah. <laughs> Lord of the Felines. You know. <laughs> oh, that would be rabid. I think that'd be great, though. Well, we already hey, have Piggy over here. Like I told you, Gozer could play Piggy. Oh my! Oh, but but poor Piggy. I know that's true. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That movie messed me up, and the book really messed me up. I read that book in high school, and I remember our assignment was we had to write. If you could write another chapter at the end of that to continue the story, um, with how the how the book and the film ends, what would you write? And I can't. I, you know, I cannot even remember what I wrote, but I remember what like one, one of my best friends wrote. And um, he was a good writer. I don't think he ever really pursued it, but it was just one of these things where he wrote this continuation where it's just like, if that scene kept going, um, what would you do with it? And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a classic. I think it's actually, if you know, I don't want to keep bringing it back to Stephen King, but I'm pretty sure it's Stephen King's favorite novel. I, you know what? I think uh, the history of horror, uh, the Shutter or AMC series with Eli Roth, because he interviews mm-hmm. Stephen King a bunch in that, and I think I think he might have mentioned that. I know I've heard Stephen King say it in an interview, but I want to say it's mm-hmm. the history of horror. Jackie, I'm going to give you a cat, and it is a horror novel, so you're welcome because I brought this up last time. You can have Catrion Awards uh, Bible reading cat. From uh, House on House Needless. on Needless Street. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go, Jackie. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Mm. 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 <laughs> All right, Ian. I just want to thank you for coming back and like dealing with this. I can't. I 
I don't know what happened to the audio. We've Jackie and I've been doing this for over two years now. We've never had, we've never lost audio on a on a recording before, or had something so um, like damaged that I couldn't fix it, or at least make mm-hmm. it presentable and put it out and be like, listen, it kind of sucks, but um, you can hear everything. <laughs> Yeah, well, hopefully so we, this one works out. I was worried this wasn't meant to be because, again, like I've, I do podcasts fairly regularly and I've never had any issues with any of my stuff either. So it's felt very much like that Amityville horror scene when like the priest is trying to call to warn the family mm-hmm. and they can't hear anything on their end and he can't mm-hmm. warn them. So, yeah. Yeah. That's it's like kind the of extreme. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's it's related, it's relevant, but it's like it's how Arl Stein says his number one rule of horror is you have to get rid of the phone mm-hmm. or their like way of communication. So mm-hmm. our podcast is like, nah, man. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Oh, you think you're recording? Hmm. That's He's trying cute. to summon the demons. Yeah, that's what that sound, that AI Armageddon <laughs> that sound was. That was. Yeah. He might have. And it's true. It's cool. My house is protected. I ain't got to worry about it. Yeah. I don't mind it. They can come. Oh, Ace, Ace okay. mad at me now. She hates it when you I so do that. You so damn dumb. It doesn't bother me. Anyway, so we do thank you for that. But I have a question before we totally close it out. And I didn't get to ask it last time. If you had to choose your favorite horror author, and it's not necessarily one that you draw inspiration from or admire their work, but like when they put a book out, you're buying it no matter what. Oh, you can't say Stephen King because that's a No, I won't say Stephen King, even though it's true. It's just he's he's so, you know. It's just because, like, it's the obvious answer, you know. I mean, he's just—he's in a class all to himself, so it's better just not to mention him and mention somebody else, right? So it is too, but I almost feel bad for him sometimes because I see this all over the place when anyone's talking about horror. They're like, "And you can't say Stephen King." I mean, Sadie Hartman, Mother Heart, she she writes that in her <laughs> introduction for this. She goes, yeah. "Listen, I love Stephen King. I love him, but none of his shit's going to be in this book." Yeah. Well, and again, because it doesn't really need to be. It's just uh, it, my, my only pet peeve with, with Stephen King month or when it's his birthday, whatever, is that people will always take the opportunity to kind of trash him. You know, it's just like, oh, this here, here's here's the, you know, uh, I don't read his books, but here's like the five books I don't like. It's just like, I understand he's a celebrity. He's probably not going to read that. And it's okay. I just like... You would never do that to anyone in the horror community, right? I mean, obviously, you don't yeah. like everything that these people all write, but you're so e- it's so easy to trash King, but you're never going to trash anyone that you're actually friends with on Twitter. And I know for a fact you don't like everything that they write, but it's easy to trash the celebrity. So I don't know. I try not to do that because I just I think it's just sort of Listen, hypocritical. You don't have to like Stephen King, anyone out there, and like we all have our own personal opinions about some of his work. Mm-hmm. You know decades of his work you know they're not all the same um but you have you like you have to respect him like if you don't respect him especially in the in the horror yeah. literary world like that's just really sort of blasphemous but well I, it's always it's always very really funny when someone says though they don't they don't like these books from his and it's like well these are five stephen king books i don't like i'm thinking the dude's written like 50 bestsellers if you don't like five of them he still comes out ahead you know? <laughs> yeah and like every single one gets picked up for an adaptation and sometimes more than once so um because he sells them for a dollar yeah what he sells the rights to his book, his adaptations, for a dollar. What are you talking you, about? 
He has on his website, yeah, the Dollar Babies, where he'll do the screenwriting or whatever, and he'll just pop it up, and he'll he has this little thing where it says, if you're interested in you know adapting one of my books, it's a dollar. Shut up! Why didn't I know this? Because you don't go to his website. I don't. I don't. I just feel yeah. He does it to where if you're like a film student, you can apply to to get access to like some of his short stories for free. It's crazy. Like he is a fucking monolith. Like he's like here. Okay, but that's but that's now. Has it always been like that? Because think about like the whole eighties and nineties were since like the late nineties, mid to late nineties. Yeah, he is a lot of. Oh, you mean like when he became a billionaire? He, uh, yeah. yeah, he's obviously sold some stories for a lot more money than that. But the, the, he has he he definitely has some protocol for these dollar babies because there's been quite a few of them. So I, I don't know which stories he'll sell for a dollar, but but he's done it many times to people that mm-hmm. you know he where they to know they're students, not going to make a lot of money. Fi- okay, but he's not yeah. selling it for a dollar to like Bloomhouse or something or par- like he's not- no probably not. Okay, you know? yeah, but it's okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm going to make quite a bit of money from <laughs> from from it, you know, from the uh, from the, you know, best outside of the Tim Curry remake. That's the best. Yeah, the yeah. best Stephen King remake. That and Doctor Sleep. Yeah, well, Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep is phenomenal. Doctor Sleep, Sleep yeah. felt epic to me. I just wanted to live in that world. Like when I when I watched the director's cut, because the director's cut is almost three hours long, it was yeah. like this should have been a mini series. And I'm not saying the movie yeah. didn't do what it did, but I was so bummed it didn't perform well because I wanted the Howler and spinoff that he was going to do. Because Flanagan should just be given all of the Stephen King stuff. So I'm really, really hoping that the Dark Tower stuff that he's doing right now really takes <laughs> off because he should just be giving the Dark Tower. You know. Yeah, so I hear something about Dark Tower. Mm, it's like mm. back to uh, Doctor Sleep, though. So I, I was listening to an interview with Stephen King, and they were talking about like you know the violence and whatever, right? Apparently, how they adapted the scene of the boy, the like little league player or whatever, mm. um, and they take him out to that field. Right. He Stephen King's like he's like I think it was too much. I heard that story too. His wife, his He's wife like, oh, said the scheme yeah. was too much. Yeah, that's, yeah I can see I mean, that. That's usually it's the opposite. Usually, uh, you know, authors or especially horror, they're like, I don't think it, I don't think it gave off the right feel. It wasn't enough. It wasn't intense enough. And Stephen King's like, I really wish they would have just not. Mm-hmm. But that kid's a good actor. So anyway, okay. Yeah, so great. I love how like not Stephen King. We just spent 15 minutes talking about Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> favorite author you're insta buy like not even going to read the synopsis you're just going to buy the book because you know you love this author oh uh, you know what and there's so many because there's just some i mean i know because i pre-order everything uh, i try to support the authors because as an author myself i know how important pre-ordering is so I, I will say because i just literally bought a very very expensive i think there was only 52 copies made of this i'm not even going to say because my wife will listen to this how much money i paid for this book um S.P. Miskowski's um, Skalut Cycle. Um, she is someone who, one of my more recent faves, I don't know how long she's been publishing for, but I, I would say at least 15, maybe 15, 10 or 15 years. Um, that's how long I know her in terms of the books that I've been buying. The, the one that really got my attention was Knock Knock, which is sort of a Pacific Northwest very Twin Peaksy ghost stories, witches, small towns, sort of a thing. And I just, 
devoured all of those stories in that series and then everything else um, that she did, um, novellas and other books. And I know that she's working oh, on some Mac stuff Mac now. Is in the 101, isn't it? I, that's the book uh, I've been I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I fa- – I got to order that one because I didn't – it's phenomenal it. i just her style just really spoke to me it was very creative it was very it's doing things that you may think that you know but she's again like like, like any good author she's doing something really unique in them so she just sort of went up to my list of oh i, I just see the name and i'm going to go and buy buy the thing so she like i said as i said she's done some other books she did one called um uh i wish i was like you that sort of set in like 1990s seattle uh, and uh it's like a ghost story told from the point of view of sort of like of the ghost um, to a certain degree. Yeah, I just a real talent. I have all of your books up right now. Yeah, best uh, of both worlds. I mean, it's just it's just very very. It's it's hard to do something different without making it really overt or weird. And she's there. There is a there is a familiar familiarity to her work in terms of the type of stuff she's writing. But like when she's writing about Scaluth, this this small town, and yet the familiarity is just a way of sort of pulling the rug out from under you because the minute that you think that you're on steady ground she's going to do something really different or weird or subversive and that's where i think where she really shines with her talent and that's why for me she's an automatic buy i like that i like that i'm actually gonna pick up some more of her stuff and add it to my tbr so thanks Mm. thanks for that um well you know it's way past our bedtime That's all Way good. Past. You finally got this working on my phone, and my phone's going to be dead soon. So, I mean, unless I have to go, you do not want me to run through the house with the phone now, trying to plug it in, where you're going to see me fall down the stairs, and then the cats eat my corpse. I mean, that might be a good way to end it, but I don't know. I would, I would clip the shit out of that and mm-hmm. post it. Oh my goodness! Everywhere, everywhere, and tag Stephen <laughs> King. Okay, so Ian, again, thank you so much, and so much congratulations on getting your your soldier first novel and then also getting the story picked up for um an adaptation and hopefully you get some more of this because we did talk last time about how there it might be like a universe type deal mm-hmm. where you get a couple you become your own marvel label um, right. <laughs> i hope you do it because jackie and i will just um leech off of you forever because we just be like oh my god we're our bestie another screen adaptation we did for the podcast you know like our bestie is ian rogers who's also besties with paul tremblay who's uh and then also besties with stephen king and (laughs) sam raimi and like whatever actors come up so we are just literally by proxy all of your besties are ours and he did say he did he did call what we have here a friendship Everyone heard that. It's recorded. It's true. Okay. So. It was notarized. Yeah, you, mean, had no, you had a notary come over <laughs> and I decided to sign all the things, you know. Mm-hmm. We did. We did it right before this. Okay. Again, absolutely amazing. Love your stuff. Um, I've been working through some more of the short stories. I'm going to make Jackie read them too. Well, thank you also, very much. I want the advanced copy when your book comes out because I want to read that. Yes, no, we did talk about that, did that, and I'll, uh, <laughs> I will definitely make sure that you get an advanced copy of Sycamore. Because like, again, I think you'd really dig it. This is this is kind of like my baby. This is the one that I'm really excited about. It's it's my first novel coming out. Everything else, I got a lot of mileage. I've been really riding on this short story collection, and, and I love it. But the the stories are sort of like the beginning of my writing experience. You know, like they were the first five years of my writing life. 
And that was a long time ago. It was it was already over 10 years ago when it was first published. So I really want people to see what I can do with a novel length work. And, and the fact that it's also the first book in the Blackland series, there's a lot riding on it. I, I am certain I'm sort of nervous to a certain degree, but I'm more excited. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really proud of it. Well, we are super, super excited and proud of you. You know, it's just it's great when authors can really just like, you know, get their chance and kick off because that's what we want to do is, is also is just help authors get out there and get their stories told. So it's not, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in what is it, the slush pile um, or, you know, sitting somewhere deep, deep down in the trenches of Kindle Unlimited because uh, mm-hmm. there's so many great stories out there and, and yours are some of them. So thank you. We want to have you again at some point. Um, absolutely. But, you know, and until uh, Ian is sick of us. Uh, I guess uh, <laughs> till next time. Okay, bye. Well, thank bye. you very much. Bye, bye, thank bye. you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely.